Hi there. Before we start, if you're new to our podcast, thank you for tuning in to our show, and we hope you will stay with us for a very long time. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continuous support throughout this period of uncertainty. We're really grateful for all of your kind words and encouragement. It has really helped this podcast to grant a great exposure, as our mission is to create perspectives by the people who look like us. And a woman, and also people who are marginalized historically, to the sideline of conversation. So, you haven't already? We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast on Omni, Apple, Google, or Spotify, and of course, leave a rating and a review if you like. We also welcome engagement through our Facebook and Instagram platforms. We truly appreciate the support from you to help us to increase the visibility of different perspectives. Enjoy today's show. Hey, y'all! This is Jessie. Hi, this is Helen, and we are Asian bitches down under, and undeniably, both Helen and I have been sucked into the phenomena, the global phenomena that has been Squid Games. <laughs> uh, Squid Game, sorry, guys. Um, we can't. I I insisted that we talk about it just because I have to say the hype and the adrenaline in which and the effort in which I'm engaging and sort of supporting the、mm. fandom behind this show is because of two parts. One, it's extremely good. Two,、um, mm. often when things are really hyped up, like for instance, recently I can think of、um, the,、uh, the White, White Lotus. Lotus, super white. <laughs> yeah, they were super hyped up. I was disappointed.、Um, Bridgerton, I have never touched Bridgerton, not even one no, episode. No, I don't think so. I just、yeah. think it's like so not for me.、Um, what's another one?、Um, Emily in Paris. Sex. Oh, Emily in Paris was actually—I I was kind of behind that. I have to say,、uh-huh. there's another Netflix show that was recently hyped up, Sex Life or Sex. Yeah,、something. I think it's called Sex Life. I can't even、was、start. I, I haven't watched、oh, it yet. Oh right, yeah, yeah, Sex Life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I just like often I I know I've said this multiple times on this podcast, but like I'm someone who's just like naturally adverse to looking at what the main majority crowd looks at. And so,、mm-hmm. like, I'm、um, I'm really someone really really reluctant to go into a deep pond where everyone is going into. I just think there's something、mm-hmm. about me that is very anti-tribal,、mm-hmm. and um, but I think um one of my uh colleagues at Women's Agenda, who is Asian and very intelligent, she's only like very young. She told、mm-hmm. me, um, she was we were on our group chat last week, and she said. That she had binged on it for quite a bit,、mm-hmm. and、um, it was really good. And so, like, and we started talking about it、um, as a team. And I hadn't at that point engaged in it. So I one night I was alone at home. So I was like, okay, I'll give one episode a go.、Mm-hmm. And、um, <laughs> it was so mind blowing. It's just like I can't even I can't even describe how、um, important and. Like narrative wise and、mm-hmm. visually wise, like just in on every merit and storytelling, dialogue and character building, it and suspense. Um,、mm-hmm. it is extraordinary. Like it's the one of the most extraordinary things I've ever seen. The music is also、mm-hmm. amazing. Like there's so many things I want to say, but obviously, Helen, I want to hear your thoughts first. Go. Yeah. Okay, so when I saw the trailer, I immediately know that it's gonna be that kind of survival battle royale, and Alice in Border. If anyone has watched on Netflix, this is kind of similar survival game,、um, yeah, type of drama. But it's uh may it's a Japanese production, Alice in Borderland, but uh with Squid Game, uh it had kind of the feeling the first part of the first. I've only watched the first episode so far. 
the first 20 minutes gave me kind of the vibe of Parasite, um, really portraying the people who are in the very lower socioeconomics um, position, who's struggling Mm -hmm. to to survive basically, but don't know how to do it. And you see this guy trying to make money um, from gambling because he's pretty Mm. much broke. He, he's yeah, broke, he's in, he's debt. in he's huge in debt. debt. He, and, he's struggling with gambling. Yeah, and... Yeah, so this guy is... Helen's talking about the protagonist. His name is Ji Hoon, uh-huh. um, or also known as number 456, yes. which we'll explain why later. Uh, but he's divorced, he's 47, he's got, like, a kid. Yeah, he's got like a daughter. Seven, eight yeah. Year old daughter, yeah, who is now mostly living with the mother, mm-hmm. and the mother has Step-father. remarried, I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like Helen said, he's in the shits. Yeah, he he's and, a very um, bad position, and he lives with his mother. But he he kind yeah. of takes money out of his mum's hardworking saving as well, because he just don't know where to go. I guess he when when you're in a cycle of debt and you really don't have uh, anywhere out, the only way that you will probably find is a quick money. And he turned into horse gambling. <laughs> That's the way we yeah. saw in the first episode, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and what, so what happens? I mean, obviously, we won't try and spoil the entire thing, um, but we'll give you the premise, because I feel as though mm. maybe there are some people out there who are like, oh, what's the whole fuss about? Um, so anyway, he is in the shits, and um, really he has, like, on this day, the first episode, is his daughter's birthday, mm. and he does, he spends time with her, there's, um, you know, a, a dinner where he ends up disappointing her, um, and he also, on the same day, gets bashed up by some thugs who he owes money to. Mm-hmm. So he's had a really shit day, he ends up in the, really late in the evening, um, waiting for his train, mm. and while he's waiting on his train, he... Um, businessman, a young, very handsome businessman mm-hmm. in a business suit and a suitcase sits next to him and then kind of offers him a game to play. Mm-hmm. And it's like such an interesting game. I've never actually seen that game, Helen. Have you? Yeah, I've seen no. I've seen it uh, in Asia. I don't know if like Western white people play it, yeah. but we played it with a yeah. cap, like right. rather bottle yeah. cap. So, I think mom right, told right. us, well, so, at least she told me when she was growing up, she played with a bottle cap where you have to use one bottle cap to try to smash right, it yeah. hard enough to yeah. make the one that's your opponent's cap uh, flip, flip yeah, on the other flip side, onto yeah. the other so side that's, and you win. That's yeah. what happens in yeah the first episode. So this guy, a businessman, invites him to play um, this game where they choose colours mm. like um, a blue and a red kind of paper. Envelope um, type, envelope. yeah. Envelope, yeah, yeah. And uh, what, the, what you have to do, the premise of the game is you strike one of the one one envelope is on the floor and the other one is in your hand and your aim is to strike the envelope on the floor hard enough with your envelope to flip, flip around the one yeah on the floor yeah and he keeps losing yeah. like our protagonist mm-hmm. keeps losing and every time he loses he needs he is slapped by the yeah the bet was that yeah. if you lose you need to give a uh, hundred thousand or ten thousand one that was a korean currency I think yeah, it was equivalent. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's the equivalent. Let's just say a hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. But he kept losing, but because he doesn't have mm. the money, the businessman says that, well, you can let me slap your face. Slap yeah, yeah. As yeah, a compensation. Yeah. yeah of your lost. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, he, yeah, yeah. I think eventually he won some money as well. Yeah. Because he did eventually when, win. Yeah. Uh, win one round. And I think what this so beautifully sets up 
is sort of a harbinger for what's about to come. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of like the organization which runs this game, the Squid Game, which Helena will later explain very soon now, is that they, I think they're trying to filter out who is willing to lose their dignity in order mm-hmm. to get money. Because it's like, how, why would you let a stranger slap you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, what happens is at the end of the game, um, the businessman hands him a card. And it, what, on the business card, it has like a shapes, like a, there's a square, a simple shape, square, a triangle, and a circle. And on the yeah. other side, it has a phone number. And he said, if you want to play a really high stakes game with a lot of money to be won, call this number. Yeah. And so at that evening, if, I think it's in the same episode, he goes home and realizes that, you know, he kind of has nothing to lose. He's really mm-hmm. struggling. He doesn't want to burden his mother. So he calls that number and then they ask they the the person on the other side of the phone tells him to go to a place at like midnight where they, yeah where then, they can pick him up yeah and then he gets picked up by a truck and then the truck is now doused with like um smoke and which makes him pass out and yeah. he wakes up and then he's inside the game yeah. with the game which is now like the squid mm-hmm. game which is really what the whole premise of the series is about and what i find interesting helen is a lot of people who don't really know about it they um about this show Mm -hmm. they um i don't know why but they they think it's a reality show like they think it's like some sort of (laughs) korean survivor really yeah i'm like no it's a drama series you know but in reality um, you never know you know people (laughs) pay their debt through their dignity and their physical labor and being you know oppressed deeply to in exchange for money yeah so before i go into general moral mm-hmm. you know um analysis about this show yeah. what i um um what i find um, I'm, I'll, i guess before i do that i'll say um he goes in and then they play ge- the first game there are one of six games mm-hmm. the first of six games and i guess i don't really want to spoil it but then i don't i don't feel like this is spoiling it but what ends up what ends up being revealed is that um people die if they lose in the game. Yeah. You know, they get... Sh- and it's very violent. It's very quick, fast-paced. And people are there... Everyone inside this game, there are a total of 456, they're there to um, amass a huge amount of money. And the more people who die, at the end, the more kind of money is being put into this, like... Piggy bank. Uh, big... Yeah, piggy bank. And everyone in there is in there because their life has become so unlivable because of their crippling debt. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they, they really don't have anything much to lose. So mm-hmm. they're all fighting for to survive and to win. And after the first episode, my mind was just absolutely blown. Mm-hmm. I actually found the first episode scene, the scene of the game, extremely triggering, even though I have not been part of a mass shooting. I found mm-hmm. it, like, so triggering because I thought of, like, Texas, Las Vegas. I thought of um, Paris, you know, mm-hmm. the mass shooters from a few years ago like it was so triggering to me to so I actually didn't w- watch it like I covered my eyes and just read the subtitles mm-hmm. and muted it as well because I yeah. just the Koreans and the Japanese I guess like you know Hollywood as well but something something about Korean cinema they're so fucking good at doing like Violence. really genuine authentic gore mm-hmm. like everything every gunshot wound every death looks so friggin it's so real, real. yeah yeah, yeah, it was like so. It was too much, too close to me. Mm-hmm. Um, thoughts after the first episode, Helen. Let's just sort of center the, on that for now. 
I loved how the it's so colorful and it's so engaging the whole surrounding、mm. of the setting when you enter the game. It just seems、mm. so. Also, it seems very animated.、Um, it's so yeah, unreal. It's、there's、very a, theatrical. Yeah, it's, it's a, very theatrical. There's a、yeah. sense of surreal surrealness within the whole game. That you、yeah. kind of can detach yourself from it, and knowing that oh, okay, this is not real. I'm just watching right, the show. Yeah, yeah. But then again,、yeah. when the game begins, you realize okay, this is the type of people that is real in our society, and also the struggles they're facing are real as well. Mm, mm. And then coming into the game, which means that they're involving in the in our society of circle of the toxic capitalism. How everything is need to be exchanged through money, and everything、yeah. that your self value is through money again, and then how much that each of them is willing to like they they feel like they they don't have anything to lose. I think in particular yeah. that yeah. is the you can see from the first episode there are already specific characters that is picked out from all the candidates.、Yeah. Of the game that you、yeah. know they will be focusing on. For example, there's a thug yeah, yeah. against a, a pickpocket girl and and a very old man who, and an old man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, who、he's、just、so、doesn't、charming. like yeah whatever. Yeah, he's like yeah whatever. Yeah. I'm here. I'm at my old age. If I die today, I yeah, die. Yeah. That kind of attitude. Yeah. And there's、uh, one of his old friend, the protagonist's old friend. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Who who is um who has lied to his family about. You know his success. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's actually in great debt as well. I absolutely love the cinematography and the、mm-hmm. setting. Like、mm-hmm. the the room where they kind of pass through in order to go to the game. It's like this maze of like colorful bright green and pink、mm-hmm. with like staircases, kind of. Yeah, like, it, it reflects like a, on that the, sort of the、like、artwork, pastel, the artwork. Yeah, of that stairs、like、inside colored, outside. Yeah, sort of like a pastel colored version of like. Hogwarts, you know,、mm-hmm, in Harry、mm-hmm. Potter's Hogwarts, where the stairs kind of move around,、mm-hmm. it was kind of like that. And the the candidates are all—it's very militaristic setting. What I found was、mm-hmm. like it was very militaristic. Like the soldiers, there are like soldiers in there who are dressed in like kind of bright pink hazmat suits,、um, are really terrifying. But like、mm-hmm. they also remind me of military personals. Yes. And and candidates are like all dressed in kind of like casual kind of sports gear with numbers. On them,、mm-hmm. you know, like numbers, like the way in which in Korea and Japan and Taiwan, I don't know about elsewhere,、um, in schools, all the students wear you uniforms where、number. they're labeled、yeah. with a student number on their chest.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's very much like that sort of、um, environment they were conjuring、mm-hmm. up. I have to say, there is like a good. Brazilian number of reviews out there, and what I really want to focus on is the music. I absolutely think the music is ingenious. When uh, uh, when a game like、uh, there was um Haydn's trumpet concerto that was um used while they were waiting in the hall, and it kind、mm. of conjures up this kind of sense of there's something about baroque music used in any context where it immediately sets the scene as this kind of grandiose, theatrical,、mm. um, important kind of dignified. Yeah. And sort of dramatic, pompous air to it. Like、mm-hmm. what they're about to do is very grandiose. Like, kind of, yes, there's a sense of like profundity to it. There's、mm-hmm. something about that use. And then when they're about to go into, and you'll realize this, Helen, as you proceed through the episodes.、Mm-hmm. Each game is when they're called up to face a game. Strauss's "The Blue Danube" is played. Oh, okay.、Mm-hmm. 
that is like another way in which they kind of gather this sort of sort of sense of like I always find it really interesting when Asian filmmakers and Asian artwork use classical music mm. like deliberately when we hear classical music if we close our eyes immediately our first thought would be like you know aristocrats in Paris or something like that you know um so it to be like to di- displace the sort of um to displace the sort of grandiosity and the colonial imperial grandeur mm-hmm. of the European states onto South Korea mm-hmm. and South Korea's lowest, poorest, yeah. poverty-stricken people is like so powerful. Yeah, there's there's a something about that choice. Of that yeah, it was so power. clever. Yeah. yeah, and then I'm sure you noticed when the game. I don't know if it happened, but when the game started, um, there's kind of like this tribal kind of music that mm-hmm. comes on that is like, it's so juxtaposing of that sort of imperial classical mm-hmm. music that I was just mentioning. And it's just so clever. And I have to say, because you have seen the first episode now, you know the first episode with the big giant girl's head that turns? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I guess Helen and I should explain the first game is like red light, green mm-hmm. light, which is, you know, people know. I remember actually, Helen, your daughter played it with Bruce and Russell um, at Lisgar Garden a few years ago. Oh, no, just earlier and this year, not like oh, yeah, when we had Oops. a gathering. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. just a typical was, kids game where yeah, I think so in, in, in did you want to yeah, explain it? Um, you explain it. I don't know. Does does what does does Westerners here like grow grow up playing that game? I assume yeah, everyone red line. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the kids play was like, "What's the time, Mrs. Wolf?" It's similar to that. Oh, it's like that. But they call out the time and they move the number of steps. steps. Yeah, Yeah. it's a similar concept where that if the person at the front is not watching, you can run towards that person and see how far. If you're the one who gets to the goalpost or whatever that you call her, that you're the winner of the game. But you have to stop and not move. Yeah, you You freeze freeze when they turn around. In in Chinese, we call it one, two, three. Um, 木头人一二三木头人 oh, you know, one two yeah, three yeah. wooden woman wooden person as in that you, you don't yeah. move that you freeze yeah exactly yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, a similar yeah. concept yeah yeah and and this giant in, in Squid Game the first game is like this giant kind of doll like robot girl yeah. with massive eyes yeah <laughs> and, and her, her skull twists mm-hmm. yeah and and um, when when she twists over and um when she twists her head over and, like, there are sort of, like, supersonic detection cameras everywhere. If you move even a tiny bit, there's a sniper that shoots yeah. you to death, basically. Yeah. And you know when she sings... Yeah, I know. The, the song? It's yeah, both... When she... Yeah, what's the word? Uh, it's both very... Kind of a retro kind of feeling, but creepy. <laughs> oh, it yeah. It is definitely say, creepy. That, that little... That little jingle that she yeah. sings haunted me for days. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just couldn't stop thinking, like hearing it in my head because it was so haunting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we should stop here because um, there's so much to say more. Mm-hmm. But obviously I know, Helen, you have seven, epi- eight oh, episodes wow. more to go. I have actually one episode. Oh, okay. I haven't completely finished it because I kind of, just like any good book, I mm. want to kind of stretch it out for as far as I can. Um, for as long as I can, but I'm really excited to hear how you progress through the next few episodes, um, because it is just like extraordinary mm. on every sense. Yeah. It'll, you'll cry. Like I cried <gasps> so hard on some of the really? scenes, and it's like really okay. unexpected scenes. Oh wow, that's like, amazing! I will just say, mm-hmm. as a um, well, maybe I shouldn't spoil it for you. No, don't spoil yeah, it, mommy. Just we'll, yeah. we'll come back and just, revisit when I finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just want to say there's one scene where like you, I didn't expect to cry. <sighs> And I just like was shattered 
um, and like heaving. Mm-hmm. There, yeah, it's so much heaving going on. Yeah, don't tell um, me, don't tell me. I won't. Yeah. No, no, I, I won't tell you. However, I will warn you. It's like super violent. Yeah, yeah there's I so know. much mm-hmm. violence in it. So I spent a lot of the show like muting it mm-hmm. and just covering most of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> Let's take a break and then we'll be coming back uh, to talk about this week's main topic on missing white woman syndrome. So guys, um, another thing that's been trailing the internet worldwide has been the news of late of the death of Gabby Petito, mm-hmm. who is everywhere, really. Um, everyone is talking about her. So Gabby Petito is a 22-year-old woman. She quit her job in July, and she decided to go on a road trip with her boyfriend, who then turned into a fiancé, Brian Laundrie, mm-hmm. and who's 23. They started their cross-country trip um, in June, July, and they documented their travels on social media. She was, like, trying to become a vlogger, mm-hmm. influencer. Yeah. And um, she and Brian kind of were very, well, at least Gabby was very, like, consistently online. So a very typical influencer, like, taking pictures and posting them and kind of, like, and it was all very idyllic. And what kind of really hit the news was last week, um, the police who had stopped them in on August 12th had a um, camera on him mm-hmm. and that, that whole t- kind of hour-long ordeal was captured on his camera and released on YouTube and it was a, an incident where the police responded to um, a quote-unquote domestic dispute between the couple and and I kind of watched mm-hmm. uh, about half of uh, this uh, video, about 30 minutes oh, of it. Oh, did and you? It, I, okay. it was very distressing for me because like, you mm-hmm. see Gabby... Um, kind of explain like she was extracted from the van. The police stopped them, and she was the first one interrogated. And mm. she was just really, really upset and distraught. And I just kept thinking, like, this is really upsetting to watch because it's like the last footage of her mm-hmm. ever. Yeah, and it's being made so public, mm-hmm. and she's clearly just so distraught. And then later we see Brian being interrogated. So they they um separated. They're interrogated, and then the police kind of suggest that they separate for the night. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, about a week later, the couple publish a um, release a video on YouTube, and then about a few days after, um, there's a phone call that Gabby uh, has with her mother, telling her that she's going to the Teton Range. And then on um, and then on August thirty, um, the family receives their final text from Gabby, um, and it just mm-hmm. simply says, "No service in Yosemite," and mm-hmm. and they reckon that that is not from Gabby. Like, the family don't think that that's, like, in Gabby's voice. Mm. On September 11th, the family, Petito is reported missing by her family. I'm mm-hmm. um, sorry, Gabby is. And um, on September 19th, there are human rela- remains found. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two days later, um, they are identified as Gabby's. What I found, like, really sort of intriguing about my first sort of, thought when I saw this was like um, Gabby really looks like Gigi Hadid that was my first thought like she's really really pretty she looks like a model Mm -hmm. she looks like and and she looks like um, yeah she was just so kind of like um, the perfect white woman Mm -hmm. kind of victim yeah and and I I knew immediately that um, part of the reason why she was getting so much attention is because of this I know it's like very unsavory to say this but um, Helen and I I mean we're we're kind of strengthening our argument through this 
kind of um, decades long idea of um, the syndrome of the white missing white woman syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which Helen, do you want to talk about it? So this phrase is coined by the late and great Gwyn Ifo, uh, the black journalist, to describe that the media and public fascination with missing white woman. Uh, for example, the ones I assume because I'm getting this from the insider, the page uh, from US. There's a Lacey Peterson and Natalie Holloway, Holloway, yeah. So while ignoring the cases involving missing person, missing people of color, and also specifically indigenous women. Um, yeah. So this turn has raised up again because uh, one of the anchor in I think uh, US television, like a talk show called Joy Reid, uh, brought up again saying that we have this over, like kind of like over-attention focused on yeah, absolutely. Gabby Petito, not because that we are not sympathised and empathise with her family's no. loss. Of mm. course, we are all mourning for the loss of this young white woman, but at the same time, where what about the attention towards people of colour, indigenous women, trans women, trans women, trans exactly, yeah, day. yeah, people yeah. of LGBTQI plus community who are actually the in the higher proportion of missing and murdered group. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's kind of almost in a way, for me, the injustice lies in the fact that the disproportionate attention that someone with her face gets kind of tricks people mm-hmm. in the mainstream like i guess tricks a lot of us into believing that white women are the most vulnerable at kind of being mm. killed mm. um by their intimate partners when like the overwhelming majority are like black women brown women mm. um women of color um trans women Definitely. Um, women with like low no immigration status mm-hmm. like um disabled women it's it's like it's it's kind of the way in which the media and its attention on the death of Gabby, which Helen said, yes, undeniably, it's tragic. What I feel is like wounding and a mis- injustice to me is that it misperceives the reality of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it gives us the impression, a wrong impression, of who are the real victims out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's a victim. Okay, I don't, I don't deny that. If I don't want to compare that, who whose victim purpose is more higher than the other one but again there is the study why do we have this term missing white woman syndrome because there are studies that has shown that media have focused their attention onto white mm. missing person especially woman because there's always mm. been a narrative that has framed around white woman that they are the perfect uh, representation of woman okay they woman, are yeah. the perfect yeah. representation of victims and there have been uh, other tropes that has described for other type of woman that doesn't fit into that kind of narratives. For example, yeah. there's a very, you know negative tropes around angry white, uh, angry black woman, or mm. Asians that are uh, submissive that they've like deserved it, or all kinds of uh, very negative connotations about the woman that doesn't fit into a perfect frame. As a victimhood, that's why yeah, that yeah. white women are more specifically being 
uh, focused in the media attention. Uh, just going back to the study, I've just listened to a podcast earlier today. Um, some something say that um, the missing white people, okay, in US. This is a study back in the mid two two thousands that they they are about fifty three percent in the proportion of missing people in US, but they take up upon seventy five percent of media attention. So you see how much yeah. of the disparity. Um, yeah, that the media doesn't report on people of color and especially women yeah. because yeah. it comes back to the worth of val- the value worth exactly. that people see around Place. Yeah, yeah on the place on, on these the people black of color bodies yeah, or brown right. bodies yeah. yeah exactly yeah and and what I the reason why I am so wounded mm. by it is because like and and it's so upsetting and I feel like it's a universally legitimate injustice is because um, attention equals care. Mm-hmm. Like who we attend to means yeah. who we care about. It means who we love. It means who we think are important to us. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so if we're not reading about the reality of the consistency in which and the the consistency and the perpetuation of like the number of trans women out there being killed every day the number of black women killed every day, the mm. number of brown women killed every day, number of disabled people, it uh, it means that we don't care about them, mm-hmm. you know? It means we don't care about them. It means, like, it's the overwhelming, this, like, like Helen said, this, like, scientifically studied trope of, like, the white women's syndrome. It For me, it's, like, the um, most concise, deliberate, obvious, and um, explicit evidence of racism, basically. Mm-hmm. It's the most explicit evidence of racism and the way in which the media, ex- um, the media it, it manipulates our our the the media manipulates the reality of what is mm-hmm. happening yeah. to the world. Um, yeah. and and the reality just the, the just what actually happens like and the and the number of and and the disproportionate number of trans and black and brown and you know disabled women out there being killed. I mean, it's not getting the same attention and focus and therefore mm-hmm. love and care and, you know, value. And um, I just want to say also the reason, the like Kate Robertson, who wrote a piece in the New York Times about this, she says that the reason why um, there's so much attention given to a case like Gabby Petito is because the newsrooms the editors, mm-hmm. the reporters, herself included, chief of staff, the people making up these newsrooms mostly are white, like white people, not just white people, but white women. So mm-hmm. these are the people who have the power to narrate what gets out there and what gets distributed and broadcast yes. and therefore what is talked about. You know, they yeah. kind of have so much, they're the gatekeepers of what you and I think about and talk about. They, You know, look at us talking about it now. Mm-hmm. And, and they tend to be white and so they have a, um, solidarity with Gabby because they look like Gabby. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you know they look exactly like her, but you know they're white, they're straight, they're able-bodied. Like they can relate, mm-hmm. and so like um, we all naturally um, kind of tend to look at who kind of looks like us. You know, like the tendency of CEOs to hire, you know, white straight male CEOs tend to hire people below them that remind them of themselves. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. For me, it feels like yeah, um, it, not, none of this is going to change until we get more kind of people of color in the media, in the newsrooms. Yeah, you know, people of color in these newsrooms who are, are able to uh, um, distribute power in the way that they 
accord. Mm-hmm. I think the sheer volume attention that is targeted on Gabby Petito's case is also that because she had framed before that she, you know, experienced this tragic incident, she had framed her life uh, very publicly and mm. uh, trying to become a vlogger and the influencer as well. And I think that's what gets a lot of attention that the media institutions think, okay, this is going to be a big hit, you know, because she's already like a semi-celebrity-like kind of situation and people will want to see that kind of thing. But then again, I think it's more targeted onto the skin of a colour as well because you don't see... You don't see a lot of media attention for black and indigenous missing women and there's no mystery surrounding to it because there's always a narrative being created for those missing women saying that, oh, because she just ran away, there's no mystery behind it. They refuse to kind of follow up and question whether or not they're actually dead or they're actually missing because there's no resource I wouldn't say that, sorry, yeah. I wouldn't say there's no resource, but I would say just there's no effort. Basically, people just don't care. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think it's very it's very similar in Australia as well. Like I looked up missing Asian woman and there was this case that happened earlier this year. I don't even know. Like I don't see a yeah. blurred over like all uh, media outlets. There's, there was this okay. um, Melbourne woman named Kelly Zhang. She was... Mm-hmm found at the she was missing for a, a couple of weeks and her remains were found in the landfill uh, you know Jesus and that I I always I just wonder how come that I didn't see this media yeah and you're online, yeah, I'm all, online the all the time and only into that I looked up and Google missing Asian woman that this news popped in front of me and also yeah, I think basically just a, a lot of attention that is taken away from by the people who are actually in in the power to control and manipulate how media sends out to the general public. Um, yeah, but, this um this whole kind of syndrome trope that Helen and I are talking about it immediately reminded me of Olivia Gatwood. So Olivia Gatwood is um an American poet. She is one of my favorite writers in the world. Um, she um, published a book a few years ago called Life of the Party and the poems are really about um, violence against women mm. and true crime stories and um, they're very dark and unsettling but Olivia is like a genius and I saw a talk with her at the Strand in New York a few years ago when the book came out and she was saying how like she realised at one point that um, a lot of like 99% of the true crime stories that she was consuming were of white women mm. And she um, she realized that if she had gone missing, there would be like an abundance of resource and attention and support to get to to go and find her. Mm-hmm. Whereas like if she was black or trans or Asian or brown or disabled, like she she was like, oh, nobody would really like I would be forgotten. I would become invisible. Mm-hmm. And like this is what really grates me, mm-hmm. and this is what really kind of compels me to energize the anger and the frustration and the hurt that I feel in talking about this issue because this that is what fundamentally explains my whole kind of philosophy or like my conviction mm-hmm. in like what where I place my work and what I do um I find like one of the greatest injustices 
in the world has been like forgotten women, mm-hmm. like the invisibility yeah. of women, the ways in which women century after century are just forgotten, forgotten, forgotten. Like where we just become invisibilized. Mm-hmm. And this syndrome, this white women's syndrome is really just like another kind of piece of evidence of like who's going to remember Kelly Zhang? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. millions of people now will talk and think yeah. and, and write and be kind of sympathetic to Gabby Petito, mm-hmm. which is fine by me. But like, what about Kelly Zhang? What about, um, you know, all the names out there of women we don't, trans women we, we never hear mm-hmm. about in the media? Because, yeah. like, think about it how many trans people work in the media? How many trans people are in News Corp? are in, you know, the Saturday paper, ABC, mm-hmm. SPS. Like, where are, their, where are their voices? Where are their... How much power do they have to decide on what, what stories... What story, yeah. That the, yeah, that the public talk about and the public think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very true. I think it goes back to what we always say, that who has the power to determine what is seen out publicly and, and not seen yeah and exactly. not seen and it's such a privilege if anyone like if our listeners have seen our recent post what well, i posted last night in regards of jessica rhodes <laughs> debacle having pauline hansen onto her podcast and then what are you serious yeah. oh that is a bad move oh my god and that she is so was funny. she only taken the episode down when it had a backlash of criticism and of course there's always oh, white so supporters bad. saying that you know just give her a platform she's not talking about politics on that episode i <laughs> haven't heard her about that episode and jessica Rowe oh came God, out w- and, yeah. and actually explained that oh we just want to show another side the humanity of pony Hansen. i like fuck really okay i know she's a human but she dehumanized a lot of people that's, that's such a white supremacist move yeah i know and i think a lot of white people who has the power to put out have a platform to have a lot of listeners and followers really need to check your own privilege it's a commercial it gets it is a communication or a privilege that you can reach so many people you have the power to influence and to inform people and when you're giving a platform to someone who has yeah exactly continuously to dehumanize and brutalize uh, and oppress <laughs> people of minority, you yeah. gotta you, and you can't say that. Oh, I'm not in support of her political views. No, no, but no. But you're no, giving no. The fact her that you're giving, giving her, her attention. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. <sighs> That's exactly right. You've just said it. You've just said it. And and um, you don't even have to say. Oh, I don't agree with someone's opinion. I'm just gonna give them a platform. The fact of your kind of giving them your time, I think, mm-hmm. me speaks speaks volumes yeah, right yeah that's true yeah. yeah um anything else well before we close um i want to kind of finish this episode on a on a h- higher note mm-hmm. i just wanted to give a shout out to alison bechtel's latest graphic memoir um it's called the secret to superpower strength and it is so good Ooh, i've never actually read um, her nice. previous Mm-hmm. I've never actually read her previous graphic novels, um, Are You My Mother and Funhouse, which was turned into a play that I okay. missed, unfortunately, last year. It's basically about Alison's relationship and her philosophical ideas around around her relationship with her body and like mm-hmm. how she has always thought, if I strengthen my body, 
and keep my it'll keep my mind fresh and um, that will kind of stay that would kind of stave off death for her or any kind mm-hmm. of like weakness and weakness is something that she's wanted to actively kind of push away and so like in her 20s she went through karate then she went through um, skiing and yoga and marathon running like she she just goes through her lifetime and she's now in her mm-hmm. 60s yeah it just talks about her relationship to her body and she talks a bit about like the romantics like Coleridge and um, and then the beats like she talks about Kerouac and those bits I didn't really love as much but uh but she's just I mean, sorry, maybe they identify as they. Um, Alison is just, like, extraordinary. And mm-hmm. it's such a great... It, like, I, I feel like there's something about the graphic memoir and a memoir that which, like, kind of encapsulates a life that is so powerful. And I feel after I read it, um, I turned to Andrew and I was like, oh, I think I feel like everyone should have a comic book written about them. Yes, yeah. I think graphic novel is really on the rise for adults, um, mm. readers, we used yeah. to think that comics are only for kids. And I know yeah. a lot of white people, Westerners, they laugh and they tease Japanese adults who read comics. But they really? have no idea how wow. popular uh, manga is mm. in, in Japan. It's such a huge industry. And the manga and the graphic novel creators, they get paid so much. There's a certain value in it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it is on the rise and it's a good thing that you... It is a good type of asset to send out certain ideas rather than just rather than writing because some people yeah. would not prefer to be you know reading long novels, but whereas mm, a graphic mm. novel you might get a sense and you can perceive some ideas uh, more easily than yeah some people don't don't you know resonate with words, but some people resonate with pictures, which is good yeah 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 yeah. Okay, so that's it from us this week. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google, and Apple. Remember to give us a five-star rating. And we welcome listeners to send us your feedbacks or any topics any topics you would like us to explore. Check out our updates on our socials and make sure that you share with your friends to help us to extend the visibility of Asian bitches down under and continue the intersectionality in the podcast industry. So thank you for staying with us so far and we'll chat to you next week. Bye. Take care, guys. Bye.